such an honor and such a joy and privilege to be here today with you. There's something so uh, holy and sacred about today and us being here together in this space to celebrate the risen Lord Jesus. And what this means for us as people of God who have been where our lives have drastically been changed, or is being changed, by his resurrection. So it is a joy, a privilege. Ah, So in some traditions, uh, Christmas traditions, Easter service is like the continuation of a service that really started on Good Friday. And it's all, all part of the same narrative, kind of like... Uh, Avengers. It's kind of like Infinity Wars and Endgame. Like it's like kind of same kind of narrative thread. Um, so we already hit talked about Jesus and Avengers, so we were, we're pretty good there. Um, so for this Easter morning, I would like to draw from two narrative threads that have been a part of our community over the last few months. The first thread is Good Friday, where last or what we did a few days ago was we we went over the last seven words of Jesus, and it served as a context for communal lament. Specifically, and we looked at specific moments throughout the last couple years um, that we just brought together. And it was in conversation with the last seven words of Jesus. And the second thread is from our series in the Gospel of John. It was titled, Jesus Untamed. And boy, we did see Jesus say some cheeky things. And when we put these two threads together, the tapestry that we begin to see is how Jesus' life met in real life, in a real, raw, and gritty way, in often ways that seemed a bit untamed. And like, there's no way I could do justice to sum up like the last few few like months. Um, but we talked about like here are some of the ways that Jesus and the gospel were in direct conversation with some of these things. Like for, for example, like gender roles and social norms, power structures, failures in leadership, religious systems, powers. Uh, power systems, uh, uh, political systems, nationalism, racial injustice, shame, trauma, and so much more. And so, so what you and I have heard so far, and what, we're, what we've been processing as this community together, if you've been tracking with us, is that Jesus does not shy away from these conversations. He does not shy away from these spaces. In fact, we see the opposite. He is very very present in these spaces. He's speaking into these spaces. I guess we could say he has a prophetic voice in these spaces. And so in lieu of Easter, I love that I get to declare this today, that Jesus is bringing resurrection in these spaces. He's bringing new life in these spaces. In these spaces of hurt, Disappointment, pain. Because this is the narrative of Easter. If you could kind of sum this all up. Jesus didn't die so that we have to wait until we die to be with him. He, he was resurrected in the body so that the body we have now, we can experience life with Jesus here and now. Jesus didn't die so that we could have heaven later, 
Jesus died so that we could have heaven now with him in the present tense. And if you have ever been confused about this, let me tell you this now. This is the gospel. That is the gospel. The gospel is that gospel is God with us. And there are many branches that come out of that. There are many fruits that come out of that. But at the center of it all, the gospel is the person of Jesus. And Jesus is God with us. So with that in mind, we're going to look at the gospel of John. We're going to look at the way end, the last chapter. That points this, illustrates this further. The last chapter of John is chapter 21. And this is kind of like an epilogue. So the writer of John, John, he, he wrote the most of what he wanted to say in the first 20 chapters. And then he's like, well, let me just kind of sum everything up. And so he adds this one little story at the end. And the setup is this. A handful of his disciples, seven of them specifically, they go out fishing to the Sea of Galilee. They are out all night, and they catch nothing. But when early morning came, they saw a man on the beach, and he literally gave him pointers, like literally like fish that way, you know? And so he went that way, and, or, and so the fishermen, they went, and they fished on that side, and they caught a, literally a buttload of fish. And so when, at that moment, the disciples realized, oh my goodness, this is Jesus. So they hurried back to the shore, and when they got to the shore, Jesus said this. I love this, I love this. He says, Jesus said, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I love that. Come and have breakfast. And let's, re- let's read the rest of it. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He answered, yes, Lord, you, you know I, that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Jesus said, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was hurt because Jesus was being cheeky. And he asked the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now what does this have to do with what we talked about so far, that the gospel is God with us. God with us, Emmanuel, that is a theological and spiritual statement as it is a statement about the physical and material world. God was present among humanity in the body. And I think we, sometimes we have a tendency to forget how human Jesus was because he was definitely fully human and he was, he was also fully God. And so he was both to his fullest nature. So what we see here is that in his divine nature being God, he knew where all the fish were been hiding all night. But also being human, he's like, oh, I'm hungry now, right? This is breakfast time. Breakfast, most important meal of the day, right? And so, verse 12, he says, Jesus says to him, come. Have breakfast. 
And think about this, like, even after the resurrection, right, he conquered death. But he didn't quite conquer hunger. Jesus still ate food. In Acts, Peter talks about how Jesus often sat and ate with the disciples after the resurrection. It seems like the resurrected body of Jesus still enjoyed food, which I find very comforting. (laughs) I love a God who gets food, you know what I mean? Um, True story, and this little side tangent. Um, I I remember the first time I had Langer's number 19 pastrami sandwich. And it was a spiritual moment, y'all. I'm telling you, this pastrami is like, oh my, I, I, have, <laughs> I, I, have, I have been a witness to this. Um, I have borne witness to this. I have evangelized to the gospel of Langers. And um, I have seen grown men cry tears because the sandwich was so good. Um, <laughs> um, if, y'all, if any of y'all want to connect over this, Hit me up, y'all. Let's, let's make it happen. Um, one interesting thing about this meal, and this is more of a literary observation. The writer who wrote this, wrote this story in a way that mirrors when Jesus fed the 5,000 in chapter 6. Like It's almost like the same structure, same narrative structure. And that's just before Jesus tells him that he is the bread of life. And now, just to be honest with you, I feel like there's something deeper to unpack there, but, and I'm pretty sure there's some awesome, excellent scholarly work out there that makes that connection, but I haven't found it yet. But I will make this point. Whether or not Jesus is doing something spectacular, like feeding the 5,000, or something as mundane as eating breakfast with like a boring menu of just bread and fish with seven people, the greatest miracle still is that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. That is the greatest miracle there, present. And we have to see the importance of this. Dallas Willard, who's like, he's like this, um, he's like kind of like the modern um, kind of father of spiritual formation. And he's also a, philo- a, ph- a philosophy prof- professor at USC. And he was asked by one of his grad students, James Bryan Smith, he's like, what's the Bible all about? What a huge, daunting question. What is the Bible all about? And he, sum- he said this succinctly yet profoundly, God with us. God with us. Everything in the, what we have in the Holy Scripture, the Bible, it's about God being with us. So moving on to the next part, the next half of that verse. We have another interesting observation, this time specifically related to the resurrected body of Jesus. It says this, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They they knew it was the Lord. Kind of an interesting statement, right? John is writing this because a few times already we have seen the people that are closest to Jesus having a difficult time recognizing Jesus after the resurrection. Interesting, right? And other Gospels tell more stories like this, like where they're not able to recognize Jesus, one of them being the two two disciples being on a walk together, they're on a journey, and then they're having this conversation with this third person, and they they have such an engaging, aligning conversation. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when they get to the final destination, they're like, oh my goodness, that was Jesus, and he disappears, right? And there's more stories like this. So it almost seems like John is writing to say this, 
it's almost something to the point of like, oh, the disciples finally get it now. They finally get it. Like, they, they could tell Jesus now. It's almost like uh, I have, if you don't like, we, uh, my wife and I, we have identical twins. And every once in a while I get like, oh, I could tell who's Jordan now. I could tell who's Ezra now. It's, like, it's kind of like that. Um, completely different context with Jesus still. Like, uh, but, but definitely a question worth asking here is, why is Jesus' closest friends having a hard time recognizing Jesus? Why is that happening? It's a really interesting phenomenon, right? And biblical scholars have discussed this for centuries, and they kind of fall into two camps, okay? And I, just, just to give you a little like, like heads up, like I fall into the latter camp. The first camp is this, that the resurrected body of Jesus was so unique in nature that it was puzzling for those who are observing it. Perhaps Jesus is embodied, perhaps Jesus embodied God's glory and victory over the grave, that it was like similar to how like when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, like the glory was like, oh, we, whoa, what's, what is going on, right? And so it makes, I, I get that, I, it makes sense to me. But I kind of lean towards the latter, the, the second one. And that the resurrected body of Jesus He didn't hide his blemishes. He didn't cover up any physical markings of pain or suffering. Instead, Jesus allowed the scars that he endured on the cross to be a permanent part of his body. He allowed the pain and the trauma the unspeakable amount of violence to be a part of his body. Maybe Jesus' face looked like he went through hell. Maybe that's what made it difficult for his friends to recognize him initially. And if indeed that is the case, carries a different meaning to the resurrection. If that is the case, then the resurrected body of Jesus carries the scars that have been glorified and honored and redeemed. And maybe that is at its core what the resurrection is. The scars are redeemable. That the pain and the violence is redeemable. And in that redemption, there's true healing. In that, re- in that re- redemption, there's new life. That when, when Romans 6, 5 says that we have been un- united in Christ in death and his resurrection, maybe it also means that we carry, we are able to carry a glorified, redeemed, Restored, honored, scarred, just like Jesus did. That is, any sin that we've committed that jacked up our bodies, or any sin that had been committed against us that jacked up our bodies, that they are able to be redeemed in the wounded hands of God. That they're able to be healed by the healing touch of God. And I wonder if that is our resurrection. 
I wonder if that's the resurrection that Jesus is inviting us into. This is the, I wonder if this is the invitation of the incarnate God, that God in flesh is redeeming our flesh. He's redeeming our scars and our pain and our hurts and our suffering. And here... And to be, like, to be real with you, this is, is kind of like something I'm processing in real time, okay? Like, if you grew up in the church, especially like in the Protestant evangelical tradition, you have, may have heard something to the likes of, or it's been implied that the spiritual world is more important than the physical world. And I heard that especially a lot in like charismatic um, Pentecostal friends uh, in circles. I, I feel like I, but I, honestly, I felt like it was just as prevalent in like Reformed Presbyterian circles, right? And in fact, that's probably like one of the main reasons why you should become a Christian. Because now you are aware of the spiritual reality. So let's jump, let's jump ship. Let's buy into the spiritual reality. Because the spiritual reality is above the physical reality. And so here's the part that I'm processing. If, if, if that is truly the case, if that is truly the case, then I, I think Jesus would have been totally okay if he just died spiritually and was resurrected spiritually. Like, he wouldn't have to endure anything on his body. But that would also mean that the, everything we experience here on the body wouldn't matter. Right? All forms of abuse, assault, injustices like gender inequality, racism, sexism, it wouldn't matter. Because the spiritual reality would have been above the physical reality. And if I could get a little more frank with you, I wonder if this is one of the footholds that Satan used to undermine the issue of race in the church today. I wonder if this has been one of the footholds that the enemy was like, oop, white supremacy in the church today because the body doesn't matter as much as a spiritual reality. But the gospel is that God is with us. He is with us. He is with us in spirit, and he is with us in the body. So Jesus did indeed die in the body, and Jesus was indeed raised from the body because our bodies matter. They are in, intricately tied to who we are as spiritual beings. That is what we see all over in the Gospel of John. And, G, and Jesus is present in these spaces where the spiritual and the physical mattered. That's why Jesus was with the Samaritan woman. That's why Jesus was with systems that, that, uh, that, that progressed um, injustice and brutality and unfairness. Jesus was present in those spaces. That is what we practiced on Good Friday. Jesus is present in our physical, earthly, material pain. Because that matters. Cole Arthur Riley, who is, um, she, she writes this place in, called Black Liturgies, and she wrote this in her book, that the chasm between the spiritual and the physical is no greater than that between a thought and a word. They cannot be disconnected. It is difficult to tell where one ends and the other begins. Perhaps there is no such place. 
Jesus. We live in the spiritual reality, and we live in the physical reality. He died in both realities, and he was resurrected in both realities. In fact, they're one and the same. That's why sin matters. That's why sin matters. That's why our souls matter. That's why our bodies matter. Because what happens now here in in this material world matters just as what happens in the spiritual world because there's no divide between them. This is what Jesus believed and lived out. And the Western world, the Western church, is still struggling to come to to terms with that reality. And that's where I think some of the hypocrisy we're seeing in the church and within ourselves and myself comes from that. So in light of this, um, everything that we talked about, let's consider the rest of this text. A well-known story, because this is Jesus restoring Peter, first in his stomach, then his soul. Because after betraying Jesus, I would imagine that Peter in his gut, he felt shame and guilt. So let me, so Jesus goes, let me satisfy that in both ways. Let me feed you. And let me heal you. And how he does this is by asking this question. That is an essential question for all followers of Jesus, which is, do you love me? Do you love me? And each time Peter answers, yes. And with that, the good shepherd then tells Peter to do the very thing that he just did, which is to feed the sheep. In other words, as you love Jesus, love others the same way. Jesus is inviting Peter to embody the love of Jesus. And this is where the idea of love embodied comes from. That we love others as Christ loved us. The theology of love embodied is rooted in the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus lived and died and was resurrected. And it is a revolutionary paradigm that God became flesh and dwelled among us in the person of Jesus. And as disciples and followers of Jesus, not only are we gracious recipients of this paradigm, but also active participants in it. We don't just get to think about this love. We get to embody it. We don't just study it, we embody it. We don't just teach it, we embody it. Because this is what Jesus modeled simply by his being. The resurrection of Jesus is more than an invitation to know the doctrine of God's love, but it's to embody God's love toward our friends, family, neighbors, and enemies. And this is the invitation that that Jesus asked Peter by name. And later on he asked Paul, by name, to the same invitation. And I wonder if he's making that same invitation to us. To love, to embody love in this way. Not just to know about it. Not just to talk highly of it. Why don't you just do it? Just go do it. And I think once we start seeing that, I think that's what 
That's the radicalness of the gospel. Because he made this invitation by name to his disciples, and they accepted that invitation, and that really became the start of the movement of the church, right? And then one by one, they saw this love that is so divine, so unlike anything they've seen in this world and culture. They're like, I don't get it, but I want some of that. Like, I don't fully understand it, but I want that. I think so much of the way we do evangelism is about, hey, let me just dump everything that I know, right? But what we see in the early churches, you don't have to get it. You don't have to get it, but let me invite you to it. Why don't we walk together in this? Let me embody this for you. It's not, let me prove how wrong you are with your logic. embody love is to walk with people, to accompany with people. Interestingly enough, the New Testament church became known as the body of Christ. That title only came after the resurrected body of Jesus. Never before the people following Jesus was called the body of Christ. It was the resurrected Jesus and his body that launched the body of Christ, the church. And that is the invitation that Jesus is making for us. That is the gospel that Jesus is inviting us into, to live this out with our friends, family, neighbors, enemies, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love, to pray for your enemies. Because this is radical. It was radical 2,000 years ago, and I feel like it's even more radical now. And it's a radical love that needs to be proclaimed louder than anything else, especially in a day and age where we're so bombarded by so many words. Let this be our... Jesus, we ask that we will be known for this more than anything else. Lord, we repent. Forgive us for the ways that the body of Christ have been known for other things than the love of Jesus. Forgive us for the ways that we've, in your name, have done some heinous things, hurtful things that really pushed people away from you. We repent, God. I repent. Help me, help us to love others just as you have loved me, have loved us. May this be the marking of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus, of the body of Christ. We humbly ask this in your son's name.